0: Good morning. How are you guys? In-person people, online people, glad you're here. Any AI who are becoming aware, you know, you're welcome. We want to be at peace. Uh, I'm Joel. I'm the Connect pastor here. I uh, do small groups, discipleship. I'm on the teaching team. We are then in the teaching team series right now of follow uh, the definition of being a disciple. And, uh, man, this is so exciting for me. This is a big deal. Hopefully, if you have been a part of this for a little while, uh, maybe this sounds familiar, right? This is the definition of a disciple that we're using. It's someone who follows Jesus, is being changed by him, and is on mission with him. And you can shake your heads or, you know, type in along with us if you, if you get that, right? So the reason why this is so important to me is because by a mile, the, the most advancing part of my spiritual, you know, the best stage in my spiritual growth that I can ever um, look back on and see is when um, God really opened up my eyes to this idea of the Great Commission, what he really meant by going and making disciples. Um, one of the things that uh, that somebody pointed out to me when I was reading and, and really had my eyes opened up to um, what Jesus-style discipleship was is, is uh, when somebody pointed out to me, man, just look at Jesus' ministry, the three years that he spent here and the results that he had in and and just those three years, and ju- judge that by American standards of, of success. And if you do that, Jesus' ministry, in a lot of ways, looks like a failure. And we know that obviously can't be the case, right? So, so really, what Jesus did um, must be more successful, must be more important in his words, his last words, uh, there in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when he says, He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is an important part for today, too. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's, it's, that's really important. It, it's so revolutionary when you, when you really think, man, sometimes we can just get overwhelmed in our Christian walk because the Bible has so many things to say to us, you know, like we are commanded to uh, share our story, we are commanded to give we are commanded to love our neighbor, to turn the other cheek, and I mean like there's a lot of stuff there but it is so helpful to me personally, and uh, when I look back on Jesus' ministry to say, man, when he trained those 12 disciples, he gave them his whole life and the one thing that he told him to go out and do when that was all over was to go and make more <laughs> disciples. Think about that. And then, and then think about, like, okay, so then how does that compare to, like, what we're doing today? If you just were to give the American Christian church, not just us, but just Christianity as a whole, if you were to give that a grade, you know, if you were going to hand it a grade card, what kind of grades would you give for reading and writing? Go ahead. You know, A, B, C, D? Anybody? All right, fine, I'll give it some. Well, why don't we give ourselves like a B plus A, something like that? Because reading the writing with the Bible, that, that's really important to us. We emphasize that. We give that a lot of credence. What about mission work? How would, how would you grade the American church on, on doing missions and stuff like that? A minus? Our senior pastor just came back from mission work, so yeah. Um, at least here, I would give us a good grade for that. What about caring for the needy? Would you say that the American church is doing a good job caring for, for needy people? Honestly, I have no idea. I don't know what God would say, all this stuff. But I'm trying to get to the point where if we were to grade ourselves on the focus of making disciples, would you give us an F? Like, are we failing in that? Again, I don't know. I am no one to judge Christ's bride. That's, that's, I don't know anything. Here's what I feel. I feel a lot of times that Jesus' last words have become of little importance to us. And yet, we know that if this is what Jesus spent three years doing, training disciples, at the end of his life, he didn't start a single church, he didn't didn't have a big missions organization, he trained those 12 guys, and he went out, those went out and changed the world. I know for a fact that Jesus probably chose his last words, his final instructions to them very carefully, right? When Jesus told him to go and make disciples, that wasn't just like happenstance, That, that, that was really important to him. They were instructed to go and repeat the process that they had just been through. And guess what? They have that advantage of having been trained by Jesus. But that's so cool because they knew exactly what he meant. They had a clear picture. They had witnessed it. It had been modeled for them what Jesus meant to go and make disciples. So I'm telling you, if you've ever had a hard time like wrapping your mind around like, just that whole thing of what discipleship means, stuff like that, I've got like an analogy video of building a house I want to show you real fast. Let's think about disciple making as building a house. There are a lot of different parts that go into making up a house, and you need every single one of them to make a house. We can talk about the walls being hospitality to strangers or foundation being teaching the Bible. The roof can be prayer and evangelism and the windows could be serving others. The door could be giving and the fence for giving but let's not get too lost in the analogy Jesus taught us to do all of these things and the house needs all of those parts but it's all the house of disciple making so you being a follower helps someone else be a follower see you're doing what Jesus commands while someone watches you do it and then by doing that they learn how to do it by watching you so they can teach someone else who can teach someone else and that is jesus style disciple making and when we borrow this definition of what it means to be a disciple from jesus's invitation to his followers to come follow me and i will make you fishes of men the the, the definition and the instructions are right there in the invitation right jesus invites them to follow him to be changed by him, and to do the things that he wants them to do. Now, last week, Shelly, in her own words, nerded it up by by telling you about the first century Jewish educational system and what it meant to follow a rabbi and uh, and that whole process. And so we're trying to just look at it from another angle, what it actually means to follow Jesus. And to be clear, man, all these things are interconnected. Like, you can't it's like a pieces of a puzzle. You can't like pull them apart, and they, they make a whole lot of sense by themselves. So, I, you know, like, so then today, we want to talk about what it means then to be changed by Jesus. We want to illustrate what being changed um, can look like and uh, what it means for you. And maybe that even sounds scary that we are all in a continual process of being changed. Like no one is in their final form of Christianity. If you are, then you're dying. Like and that into the outside world that might sound like are you telling me that you never achieve Christianity, you never achieve being like Christ? Well, it's actually a lot more beautiful than that and that Jesus has us on a constant journey of becoming more and more like him. And there's some scripture that actually gives us even more encouragement. We'll get to that, but look. That invitation from Mark 1:17. then Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become in the New King James Version, I like that. I will make you become. It's truly the most encouraging part about this whole definition of what it means to be a disciple because Jesus is promising us that we are not gonna do this in our own strength. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be smart enough or spiritual enough or patient enough, parents, you don't have to be, in general, good enough for God to use you and to save you. That's, he doesn't need that. That's, that's not grace. That's works. He doesn't even want that. He calls us to be like him. And if you've been on this planet for long enough, you probably know, in general, what you're capable of in your own strength and your own power. Aren't you curious? what Jesus is capable of with his spirit in you. Isn't that intriguing? Because, man, there's a big difference between strength and spirit. Sure, strength can win you a strongman competition, but spirit can win you a whole battle. Yeah, strength can make you a powerful CEO, but spirit can make you transcend generations. The strength can help you withstand pressure, for sure, but it's spirit that helps you and empowers you to overcome your enemies. And strength can help you get your own way, but it's the spirit that makes you prevail as a victor. And strength can help us get up and and going to church in the morning, but it's the spirit that brings us to our knees in worship. There's a big difference between strength and spirit, and just more encouragement for us don't forget that even after spending three years with the Master Himself, Jesus, these the eleven disciples that were left, they were still so woefully inadequate for the kingdom work ahead of them in their own strength that they were commanded to wait until they received what the Spirit. They even they didn't, didn't can do it on their own. That's why this definition of discipleship is so important that we include that part of being changed. By him. Now, transformation story for you. My parents—they were born to World War II era parents. Uh, my dad's dad was discharged from the army at an Arkansas at an army base in Arkansas, and that is where he met this beauty. That's my grandma and grandpa real, yeah. And um, and they met and got married and moved back to my grandpa's hometown area of Columbus, Ohio, and. My, my grandma, she was used to, be, to being raised in church and going to church, but I guess my grandpa wasn't. My dad's telling me about all this, and he, he says that out of respect for my grandpa, my grandma just chose not to go like he, like he was. But they still sent my dad and his two siblings, at least until they were old enough to protest. <laughs> and, then, and then when they were able, old enough to protest, like when my dad was like 10 or 11 or 12 or something like that, they, uh, they didn't really have a leg to stand on, so... So my dad said that, you know, while he always believed, you know, he was not a mature follower of Jesus. He may have looked like a good person, whatever that means by the world's definitions, but he had a long way um, to be to becoming a transformed follower of Jesus. And so um, he just kind of floated through life. He, he uh, was like, yeah, he was good-looking chap there, but he, he, he went to high school and then went to General Motors Institute up in Michigan and trying to get a job, and then, like all good transformation stories, it involves a girl, and that's my mom. Isn't she pretty? Now you see where I get it from, right? <laughs> no, but when, when they got married, um, my mom, who also was not really raised in a um, you know very always like Christian encouraging environment. She walked herself to church a lot of Sundays. She was a special lady. So she was a good influence on my dad. And uh, they, when they say married, they started looking for a church. You know, they said they couldn't find one that they felt like taught the Bible well up in Michigan. And when they finally settled and got their roots down here in Ohio, they, they moved up to New Carlisle, they started going to a church. And, uh, and when they started going to church, a pastor came and visited them and this pastor went to their house and walked them through um, the good news about Jesus, and that is when my dad decided to be baptized. (laughs) Guys, I'm so thankful for this. I wasn't even born yet, but these are all events that, like, tremendously impacted my life, and uh, thankfully my dad didn't treat that as the finish line, but the starting line, and so him and mom got a little bit more involved. They started going to Bible studies in church, and then when they were, you know, involved and around, people invited them to start helping out with the youth group. And when they started helping out with the youth group, Dad was invited to teach some to the youth. And he said that was a big part of his transformation was, like, having to prepare um, to be, you know, leading discussions. And, uh, and so from there, man, it's just too beautiful of a story of just how God took this, this high school uh, wrestling champion and turned him, who was a good person, turned him into a godly person. A man of God, a husband, a father, a small group leader for um, young married couples. Even as a nine-year-old, I remember um, my parents, like, spending time driving to people's houses and having conversations with with couples who might, um, you know, need a little bit of counseling or taking meals to people. I remember them being really invested, and I didn't have any idea how much I was absorbing then, but I was getting modeled right in front of me, what it means to be a follower of Jesus who is on mission with Jesus. And my dad is certainly an example of somebody who was transformed, um, from somebody who, again, the world may have thought that he was a good person, but he had a lot of more strength to gain from the Spirit. And that's the kind of legacy that Jesus has for us. That's the kind of transformation that I want for myself. And that's the kind of transformation that Paul is talking when he says to the church in Philippi: I'm certain of this. That God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. And notice how he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm confident you can do this in your own strength with your self-control. God will have your back. Just keep trying hard until Jesus comes back. That's not what it says at all. Because a religion that is about us doing things by our own strength is idolatry. It's silently shifting you and I to the center of it. No, it's completely different than that. Paul says to another group, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Do you guys remember Beauty and the Beast? when the beast is finally starting to warm up with Tabelle, and the the crew of the house, they start uh, to get him all washed up for a nice fancy dinner that they're going to try and set him up. This is what the beast looked like. And that's just silly. That's ridiculous. That's, but I think, without even realizing it, that's what a lot of us think that Christianity is. The old self just washed up a little bit with some bows put on it. You know, talk a little bit nicer, dress a little bit nicer, um, you know, do some nicer things. That's not at all the Christianity that the Bible describes for us. A new creation, the old has passed away. This is what a new creation looks like. And if you didn't know, there's actually a name for the prince in the Beauty of the Beast, Prince Adam. There you go, you learned something today. That, that's, that's what transformation looks like. Again, Jesus called them, saying, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. So if being transformed by Jesus and letting it happen through his strength and his spirit, if I need to do that, what does that mean for me? How, how do I accomplish that then if, it's, if this is in Jesus' power? Well, here, let's let Jesus' best friend John have the first shot at, at some advice here. He tells um, some people, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I really like that because you and I are not like inactive in that. We we have to confess our sins. We have to, um, in a relational environment, be comfortable enough admitting I'm wrong. I'm imperfect. Not only am I imperfect in a general sense. Here is where I'm wrong. Jesus, I confess to you because I no longer want to keep this. I want to become more like you. But where does all the pressure of transformation come from in that verse? Who is going to cleanse us from unrighteousness? Who is going to cleanse us from our sins and forgive us? He is. He will. Thinking that we just need to clean ourselves up a little bit so that we can become like Jesus is as mm, silly has me thinking that if I just practice my free throws a little bit, I can get drafted in the NBA. It, we're, we're, the gap's not that, that small. No, I can go over to that gym, quit everything else that I do, practice 24-7 for the next two years, and it won't affect, it won't move the needle on my NBA draft status at all. You know that. You understand that concept, right? Like, so we confess our sins. We allow him to transform us and change us and cleanse us from our, all our all our unrighteousness. Another piece of advice that my dad gave me when I was interviewing him for this, this transformation idea was he said, Joel, sometimes it's just about showing up. He's like, I, I showed up um, to Bible study when I was there and I learned and I showed up when they asked me to volunteer with the, the teens and, I, and then when they invited me to, to teach, I showed up. It's like that's a big part of it, being present with Jesus. Do you take attendance at your one-on-one daily meetings with Jesus? You should. Because he's the one who's going to be changing us. If if we're not spending time with him, if we're not being present, if we're not showing up on a regular basis, how can we expect to be like his image? Following Jesus, being changed by him, being on mission with him, those things are all interlocked. You can't do one without the other. Let me give you another one here. If if we think about a really somber moment where Jesus is looking at a group of people and they're looking to him for guidance, thinking, you know, how do we do this, Jesus? He tells them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. And he tells Peter, follow me, I will change you, right? Um, deny themselves. That, that's a difficult concept. That's really contrary to what a lot of us Obviously want what we think is right, but it seems very clear that we are going to have to give up some of our selfish ways. We're going to have to confess some of our selfish ways. We're going to have to give that up and trade that in. If we want to be like him, we're going to have to become a little bit less like the old us. Amen? And so if we're going to do that, man, we might look at that and be like, "Ah, oh, I'm having to trade that in, and I don't necessarily want to be less like, you know, I had dreams for myself. But man, you do. You want that transformation. Trust me, you do. It's it's not a bad trade. It's like taking a winning lottery ticket and trading it in for the actual winnings. That's a treasure. You win. You got it. Dying to our old selves and coming alive like him. The new is gone. The old is gone, man. Those Those are some great ways that we can begin, be a part of that transformation process that Jesus desperately wants for us when he invited us to follow him. Man, you want to go? You know where to go next. First, drop what you're doing this week. Come with me and some of the other people. They're going down to Nashville. There's a the national disciple making forum for two days on Wednesday and Thursday. We're gonna we're gonna go and do that. You can you can even sign up for a virtual part of that. But man, that's an encouraging thing where people get up on stage and they have breakout sessions talking about disciple making. You can catch me if you're interested in that. Man, if you want to be a part of a group that is uh, that is holding each other accountable and focused on, man, we're going to grow and become more like Jesus so that we can replicate what Jesus has done in our lives and that we're building that house. You need to see me. That, that is what we're really trying to be about and help you and me become more like this definition of a follower. Even to that end, we'll have um, a discipleship discussion on uh, Zoom. October 10th, you can catch us uh, for an hour as we uh, discuss and have conversation over Zoom. You can catch, click that link there. You can find, you'll be able to find it on the website. But look, church, again, we don't have to do anything to make God love us anymore. He already does. But he also loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us there. We're, we are called to change to be more like him. He is called to make us disciples that make disciples. And a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by him, and is on mission with him. It's that whole house, all the things that Jesus commanded us to do, but it's us intentionally training others, letting other people see us do it, and bringing them along, helping them do it alongside us so that we're all building the same house, so we're training other people to build that same house. I'm thinking about submitting and transforming Jesus. I thought, this is the best prayer that I can think of. To end with, it's from Psalm 51. You can read it with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, we, uh, we invite you in. We want your spirit's transformation in us. We don't no longer want to be our old selves. God, we want to be changed by you. We want to be on mission with you, God. We want to have a clear vision of what it means to be your follower. God, we pray that as your spirit just invades our lives now and as we go out of here, God, just that we would continue to be, you know, serving you and 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 allowing your Spirit to continue to speak to us. That we would humble ourselves and confess, so that we might be changed and not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. God, uh, we invite you to continue to to talk to us as we as we sing and we pray um, throughout the rest of the service. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.